from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. And if you actually, you know, live in that neighborhood instead of just being a landlord, you know, you you invest in the community a lot more. What's their first step? Is it, is it finding the owner? That exactly. Either they don't respond or they say, I like this home how it is, not being maintained, <laughs> yeah, or I don't, right. I don't want to do the things that I'm required to do. Right. That, can the court then, you know, get involved in the ownership of that? That's typically when it, when it goes to court, and that's when you have the neighborhood associations try to acquire those properties. I'm Danny Wisentowski. Vacant homes. St. Louis has a lot of them, approximately 25,000 across the city, and their conditions vary. Some might need a little work on their lawns, but many others have been left to decay, impacting not just one property, but also those around them, the blocks and the neighborhoods themselves. With too many vacant homes and too few owners who care, those blocks and neighborhoods, well, they can be lost. But some neighborhood groups say they won't stand by and let what should be good homes become nuisances. And to talk about that effort, we welcome St. Louis Public Radio reporter Chad Davis to the studio. Chad, welcome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Chad, your latest reporting into this issue was published just this morning, and it describes these efforts um, and really this challenge that is facing residents and neighborhoods in places like Baden. That's where your piece begins with a resident who's talking about the place uh, his home and what it was like in the 1990s when it was filled with families and businesses. Set that scene for us a bit. Tell us a bit about Baden and how that vacancy has affected it and, and to homeowners like the one you spoke to. Yeah. So um, the revitalization of Baden Association is the group pretty much uh, that kind of oversees a lot of the homes and such within Baden. So um you know, one thing I remember talking probably a couple months ago with people from legal services of Eastern Missouri, which uh, I know we'll get into them too, um, but they kind of represent a lot of these neighborhood associations. And, you know, they were talking about how Baden, you know, they had like just a large number of black homeowners decades ago. Um, and so, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons as to why, you know, homes started becoming vacant. Um, there were people who were, you know, just getting older and having to move. Um, some people passing away. That's part of it. But then, of course, discriminatory housing prices as um, policies as well. Mm -hmm. But it goes goes to 2008. And pretty much around that time is when, the, of course, the foreclosure crisis happened. And we started to see a lot of um, people kind of just purchasing a lot of those you know, homes. People started moving away. There are a lot of empty homes and a lot of uh, uh, people purchasing those. So, um, right. yeah. Right. No, you, you, there's a couple of, of, of important, I think, variables and actors mm -hmm. who are circling this scenario. So let's let's maybe just define a couple terms here because yeah, we're not just describing, you know, homes that, you know, haven't yet had someone moved in or right. they're undergoing a rehab. We're describing homes that have become um, what is legally known as a nuisance property. Correct. What is a nuisance property in this context? In, in this context, it's really a house that, you know, uh, it's bringing a lot of blight to the neighborhood. So, you know, some of these homes, a lot of these homes might have like collapsing roofs and such, uh, maybe overgrown yards, um, just a lot of broken windows, things that can be a blight to the neighborhood, but also could be, you know, a safety hazard too. Um, one of the things that people are talking about that I spoke with, you know, when you have roofs and such that are collapsing, I mean, that's a hazard, not just for if, you know, there are um, 
you know, anyone, you know, walking around, but even if there are, you know, unhoused or people who are in there. So those can be issues for the actual neighborhood and for that actual um, area. So a lot of these nuisance properties, like you said, there aren't just vacant. It's not just a house that, you know, maybe someone doesn't necessarily live in there, but they're keeping up with the property. These are really homes that can be a, a, a danger and a threat, fires as well. Right. And you know, I think you described the, the legal services of Eastern Missouri, um, which has been partnering with these neighborhood groups. Mm-hmm. So this this partnership, you know, you have a neighborhood group like in Baden, there's a home that has been vacant, and they're saying, we want to put somebody in here, we want it to be um, vibrant, we want a community to grow and not to potentially have this home have to be demolished, mm-hmm. which is, I think, what you see on so many of these blocks where it's just empty, and not just one home being empty, but multiple ones. And that's where you really get into, a, I think, a a sense of, of losing these wonderful, important communities. So how does a neighborhood group like Baden, how do they work with the legal services of Eastern Missouri? What's their first step? Is it, is it finding the owner? That Exactly. So um, one of the things, uh, Peter Hoffman, who's the managing attorney for legal services of Eastern Missouri, um, one of the things he kind of talked about was the first step is really just yeah, just trying to figure out who actually owns that land in the first place. Um, and, you know, they could be here, they could be in other places. Sometimes they're even international buyers, too, um, which is you know, like around 2008 foreclosure crisis that became a thing. But it's really just, yeah, identifying who the owner is just to send a notice out just to say, hey, you know, this property right now um, is a little broken down. The neighborhood is trying to fix it. The neighborhood is trying to, you know, make sure that, you know, like you said, these homes are more vibrant or that, um, you know, they, they can be repaired so that someone can, you know, move in. What are you planning to do on it with it? Right. And so these these property owners, the ones are trying to get in touch with, there's a couple different kind of scenarios that have brought these homes into their hands. Mm-hmm. Tell us a bit about who, you know, I think folks might just imagine, oh, this is some um, distant property owner who's bought up hundreds of these or dozens. And that might be the case yeah, in some be. of those cases. Mm-hmm. But tell us about different ways these owners have fallen into these properties. Yeah. So like you said, that's definitely one of the ways where, um, you know, maybe an LLC or something has purchased a lot of plots of land or a lot of vacant nuisance properties. Um, around the the region. But then the other way, uh, and this happens quite a bit too, is that, you know, it could be just a situation with an heir or just like inheriting the property. And um, Torrey Park um, of uh, um, the St. Louis Vacancy Collaborative and Peter talked a lot about that where yeah, you have those situations. Yeah, and, and Peter, you reference is Peter Hoffman. Correct. He's the managing attorney uh, for the Neighborhood Vacancy Initiative. And when you talked uh, to Peter, he said there are just a lot of factors that contribute to these vacancies. And as you mentioned, he pointed to the long history of discriminatory housing practices and the foreclosure crisis of 2008. A lot of homeowners, black homeowners in particular, lost their property due to mortgage foreclosure. Uh, and then those properties were sold off and um, uh, investors starting started to get wise that, oh, there's all kinds of inventory that we can really scoop up for pretty affordable uh, purchase price. And then, you know, over the last 10 years, the value has just grown. And that was Peter Hoffman, who was the managing attorney for the Neighborhood Vacancy Initiative. Um, th- that challenge that he, he lays out there, um, that, you know, that these homes have been, you know, fell into this large process, you know, uh, where does that leave them? And I guess what has happened to these homes over the last, you know, 10, 12 years since that, that crisis? So a lot of those places, 
I mean, you know, kind of remain vacant. And um, in, in a lot of ways, that's kind of where the neighborhood associations kind of just like try to step in, um, where like kind of leaving off of what we just talked about, you know, they'll they'll send a notice or so to the homeowners and, you know, ask them to, to fix it up. But yeah, in a lot of ways, those places or those homes may may remain vacant. So that's kind of, you know, if and, and a lot of times it does happen where they reach out to the owner and the owner is like, oh, maybe, you know, I, I didn't realize this. You know, they, they can fix it up and they will fix it up. Uh, but then in a lot of ways that that doesn't always happen sometimes. And that's kind of when um, it may go into the legal uh, process if they if the person they're reaching out to the homeowner doesn't you know respond or if, if they can't get a hold of them right so if that if that property owner they discover you know either they don't respond or they say I like this home how it is not being maintained <laughs> yeah, or I right. don't I don't want to do the things that I'm required to do right is that can the court then you know get involved in the ownership of that that's typically when it when it goes to court and that's when you have the neighborhood associations try to acquire those properties where they'll say okay well then we'll try to uh, get a homeowner who's also maybe a contractor or at least a homeowner who can find a contractor they can step in and try to fix the property up um, and so that's when the title can revert back to the neighborhood association uh, that's trying to you know get the home spruced up and, and this this is a lot of effort and, and legal wrangling, even just to get one home, you know, out, perhaps out of the hands of mm-hmm. one of these owners. Mm-hmm. And uh, you spoke with uh, Fatima Mohammed of the Hyde Park Neighborhood mm-hmm. Association, and and she kind of described, um, you know, I think the impact of of fixing up one home. They've they've picked up eight so mm-hmm. far, um, but she did say it's not enough just to revitalize one block. And I want it to be a legacy that they want. So I can have this beautiful home on a street. Maybe that, that block is great, but the surrounding areas are in disrepair. So I've got to work to build the entire community up so that everybody benefits. Chad, that detail that Fatima Mohammed of the Hyde Park Neighborhood Association that she brought up, its she's got to work to build up the entire community, even getting a whole block back. It's just one block. Um, is that an uphill climb for these neighborhood associations? Yeah, it, it definitely is. I think one thing, you know, it, it seems that the process, you know, um, to either compel owners to fix them up or acquiring it, it works and it, it's happened like it happened like w- with her. But I think what she's talking about and what a lot of neighborhoods, even um, people from Revitalization of Baden Association talk about is that it's... Yeah, you can get a block and you can fix up the homes on that block or acquire those homes. But, I mean, for, um, you know, a neighborhood, you know, you want other people. You want, you know, restaurants. You want businesses. You want a lot of different things there. And so one of the things, the reason why they're trying to uh, encourage homeowners to come in and to fix it is because if you're a homeowner and if you actually, you know, live in that neighborhood instead of just being a landlord, you know, you you invest in the community a lot more. You're more willing to invest in the community to want more shops, restaurants, businesses and such to come in, uh, you know, as opposed to just being, you know, a tenant. Mm-hmm. You know, Chad, these areas that we're talking about where, where these neighborhood associations are active, these are in areas that have, I, you know, and please correct me, that they've, they've not had a lot of economic development happening, you know, independently or through developers. They're not, um, you know, the way that we might hear about blight or about in other contexts is where a developer is trying to say, I want to develop this, you know, many blocks all at one time. And, you know, is, you know, for these 20 or so neighborhood associations that are doing this work, um, are they working against that that lack of development? Do they have? Do they not have? I think that 
um, the element of momentum, of having other things happening beyond them just trying to fix one or eight homes. I, I think that the difficulty with a lot of those, with, with a lot of the neighborhood associations and doing this is that, you know, you don't always have, I mean, you, they're, they're, they're they're trying to find you know developers who are also homeowners or sometimes homeowners who know developers who can fix it up. So really smaller you know developers as opposed to like large scale um, um, you know projects and such like developing an entire block. And so I think one of the difficulties uh, that 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 can happen too is if they're looking for a homeowner or someone who can develop potential homeowner or someone who can develop. Um, you know, they're trying to find someone who has a record of doing this or can, mm-hmm. who can do it on a small scale, you know, just for that home and such. And so, you know, that takes a lot of energy and a lot of effort as well. Right. And, and it's not just, you know, new new homeowners to come in. Um, a big part of this effort, as you write, isn't just about identifying these absent landowners or, or figuring out all of that, but actually preventing people who already live in these homes from abandoning them or, or allowing them to drop out. Um, what kind of process is that to help these these homes stay in the hands of those who have them now? Yeah, so that's actually, that's also a huge, huge aspect of all of this is that you have a lot of um, organizations that are just trying to make sure that the people uh, who are in this neighborhood stay. And so a lot of that in the St. Louis Vacancy Collaborative uh, does a lot of that work, um, as well as like other um, CDCs, even like the North Newstead Association, which I didn't put in, in, in the story. But um, they're trying to just offer a lot of different tools so that, you know, if maybe you're uh, an older homeowner or so, you know, trying to make sure that the property title, you know, kind of goes to maybe, uh, you know, a, a child or something, someone who can inherit it so that it doesn't just kind of sit vacant. So there's a lot of different tools that some of these groups um, are, are also trying to utilize to make sure, hey, you know, uh, you know, maybe people are getting older. Hey, let's see if we can try to arrange, you know, property titles so that it goes to an heir or things of that nature. Mm-hmm. You know, Chad, in our, in our last minute here, so tell us, you know, these, these neighborhood associations are working against so many forces of, of history, of economics, of racism and segregation, mm-hmm. where bank loans happened. And there are finding that, that people want to live in these places, that mm-hmm. these are communities that have so much left to give. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so hard. What, what is giving these folks hope? Or what, what, what do you hear when you talk to them about seeing their communities come back or seeing the parts of them that might never return? Well, that's a great question. Actually, I remember speaking with Holston and, and um, Holston Black, who's uh, part of um, – the old North St. Louis Restoration Group, which is a, a CDC. But when he was talking, he was talking a lot about the former neighborhood, what it was like in the 40s and the 50s, and, you know, having just, you know, um, you know, just a large number of, you know, people, of course, who were within St. Louis, North and South, and, um, you know, really trying to make sure that, um, you know, trying to get the neighborhood back to, to a, a way that, you know, um, preserves that architecture, preserves mm-hmm. that history. And so I think that's a driving force into like, you know, it was once like this, but, you know, let's let's see what we can do to try to, you know, replicate that or to get more people in. Chad Davis is a reporter for St. Louis Public Radio. His newest piece is titled St. Louis Neighborhood Groups Try to Acquire Vacant Properties or Get Owners to Fix Them Up. And you can find it right now on our website at stlpr.org. Chad, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Danny. Appreciate it. Today's episode was produced by Emily Woodbury with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. 
St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.